You're listening to Becoming CEO, where we share our journeys as solo founders to becoming the CEO of seven-figure businesses. And these are our behind-the-scenes conversations as we figure it out. And these are things that most people just aren't sharing. At what point do you stop copying and pasting other people's model and build your own model? I would say as soon as humanly possible, once you've gained traction. Uh, And I guess you could define traction however you want. Um, Well, let's define it. What's traction? Yeah, yeah. So like, here's the thought process that I'm going through. And I hate that I'm referencing Hormozy again, but he makes a good point. He had a video not too long ago where he talked about like most businesses, they get to seven figures and they just double down on what they were doing, which is more leads, more sales. And they don't pause to um, reassess. Are we getting the clients what they actually need? Uh, You know, is it working? Yada, yada, yada. And I think that goes, and that was kind of interesting because it was like, I feel like we crossed the, you know, the seven figure mark and that's exactly what we did. We're like, we'll just, spend more money on ads, more leads, more calls, the math checks out, like, let's keep doing it. But yet, like, it doesn't always either sustain or you reach the next plateau. And like, you can't just keep doing that. And so um, I think from what I've experienced, at least recently is like, okay, yeah, I've worked with a lot of different mentors. I think there's heavy modeling happening, which is great. I think, you know, this, what are the sayings? Like, model and then modify or, you know, replicate and then innovate. There's a variety of ways to say that whole thing. So I do think there's merit to model someone else to a degree. Um, But I do think it's at a million. If I, if I have to say where like, at least you should be really paying attention to it for a couple of reasons. The first is, um, you know, I've invested in some masterminds, obviously, for, with, with people that are over a million. And I've tried the different, it, 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 I think we've talked about this in a previous episode, it gets way less tactical over a million. Like, um, and which actually makes if you join a program, and this is just my current interpretation and view, you join a program or a mastermind up for growing from a million to above. Um, it's like, you kind of want a playbook. But what I've noticed is every time I've tried to use the plays that I've been advised to use that have worked for others to go from a million to three or whatever, they don't always work for me. Now, granted, it obviously there's executional variables in there too. Um, but like as I talk to other people in that same level, it's like it seems like it's really started like that's the stage where you really have to start making it your own. Um, and doing it your own way, because that's like where, like, that's just what's, what's required. It's like, there is no run this exact playbook to go from one to three or three to five. Um, because a lot of it is like leadership, it's people, there's different types of leaders, there's different types of communication styles. Some people love meetings, some people hate, some people are in the office, some people are async. Like there's all these things that like kind of become unique to how you are as going to be as a CEO and a leader and an owner that like, how the hell do you codify that? 
like, I think it's really difficult. Um, and so, you know, I think I've been trying to use these different things that I see have worked for other people, but like, they just doesn't necessarily work for me. Like I get a little piece of it and it's like, okay, at what point do you stop modeling and just saying, Hey, I like this to be X, Y, Z. I'm going to do that despite maybe what other people might say and just run with it. And like, I think that's where maybe the innovation innovation piece comes in or of the I'm now making it fit fit me and my own actual personal skill sets. Um, all of it has happened for me at around the million, the million mark. If I could have done it sooner, I probably would have, but I don't think I would have had the wherewithal to like actually realize that. It's why you can't read a book titled something generic like how to succeed and follow a 10 step process and succeed because there's right. no there's no there's no playbook that can be generically applied to every single business nor every single human being right, right. We, we you wouldn't accept that in your personal life right if i said you know greg you want to be a successful person go and do exactly what this other person is doing you wouldn't accept that because you're unique your background's unique your experience is unique your habits are unique, your uh, behaviors are unique, your mindset's unique, you're unique. No one else has the same experience as Greg Hickman. Therefore, the path for Greg to succeed as a human is going to be unique to Greg. And it involves some trial and error and some boring best practices and some self-discovery and self-awareness and some forging your own path. It's easy to accept that at a personal level, I think. Yeah. I think people, for some reason, <laughs> don't want to accept that at a business level. And I agree I think in the beginning, and we've had this conversation, in the beginning, you are to an extent better off stealing, copying, borrowing. Take a model that is proven to work, ideally in your market. Yeah. Take a model that's proven to work in your market. Don't try to reinvent the wheel because there's a lot else that has to happen to get a business off the ground, up and running, profitable, cash flowing, etc. So just do what works, what's proven to work. Now, not in the past. That's an important distinction, I think. Not what used to work, but what's working now. Do what's working now. And then, I don't know if it's a million. I think that's where, I think that's far too crass of a uh, yeah. a marker, you know? Yeah, makes sense. I think to me, what's, what's like <clears throat> more subjective but meaningful in terms of markers are, do you have, you know, in the beginning, it's like you don't have the headspace to think about innovation. <laughs> Yeah. Right? You don't think you don't have the headspace to think about what can I do differently? How can I make my mark? How can I make this better? In the beginning, it's just like, get it done, right? Like marketing and sales and fulfillment, build all these processes, put these things in place, hire these people, just like build the machine. And when you're building the machine from scratch, you can't afford, you don't have the luxury to think about, well, can I make a better machine? You're just trying to make a machine that works. And there's a point. And I, yeah, I think it is a million for a lot of people, right? But it depends on the market, price point, et cetera. There is a point at which you look at it and you go, okay, I built the machine. And now I can either focus to your point on just feeding more stuff through the machine that I've basically copied and pasted from some other business and hope that it works out. Or I can invest my energy as an owner, CEO, in looking at how that machine could be made more efficient, more effective. And there's no playbook for that. At that point, you've got what you've got and you've got to define your next step accordingly. <clears throat> yeah. And I also think 
the as you've kind of gotten towards the end of the runway of modeling, um, you have gained a certain level of experience. You probably like are starting to identify of like what parts of the business you like and don't like. Um, and I think the, the vision it, it becomes like the vision piece, right? Like, well, where do you want this to go? Because if like, if we are using the the arbitrary number of a million, like there kind of is, if you identify, this is the type of business that I want to run coaching, consulting, training, like, yeah, there's a handful, three, five delivery models, structures that most people use. And like, it's like, you're adopting that vision. Okay. This model executed appropriately can get me to this number, but then you get to that number and now it's like, Oh, well now you need your own vision. <laughs> and it, it's like the, well, what do you want? It's like, Oh, well, actually I don't want a thousand clients or customers. Oh, well this whole model was designed for that. So like, what do you need to change? <laughs> you know, it's like, I think there's, uh, it's almost like now you're responsible for the vision versus like you got here because you kind of just adopted a loose, a loose vision from somebody else, not just maybe a model. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting. It, and I also think there's outside of, I would gather, uh, I think we've talked about this some somewhere on another episode of like the seasons of life that we're in. <clears throat> I would gather that this also would differ. I'm guessing it would differ if, we were in different seasons of life. Like if I were 20 and had no kids, uh, maybe I wouldn't think about this at all. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but like I'm in a season of life where like my, I'm also not like scale, 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 hustle or die. You know, I'm not trying to make billions or change the world. Um, you know, I'm trying to change and help a small subset of people that were like me. Um, and yeah, so like all of that kind of comes, I guess, comes into more perspective, but also to your point, because I actually now have the time to think about it. Like when I was in the trenches at 20 K a month, like I wasn't, I didn't even have the luxury of like, I mean, I was working 60 hour weeks, 80 hour weeks. And I was cool with that. Cause that's just what it felt like it took. Um, you know, I work, a fraction of that now. So I have a lot of time to think about this. But but there's also confidence, right? So time, like there's there's reaching the, the that milestone where you can look at your machine and go, okay, the thing is working. Now, how do I make it better, optimize it? Where do I innovate? There's the time to be able to afford to do that. And then there's the confidence. That takes a certain amount of confidence to be able to say, I'm going to find my own way of doing things now. I'm going to make my own move and not simply copy and paste other models, which is what you were accustomed to at one point. At what point, here's my question to you, at what point do you feel like you, you had the confidence to be able to do that? To change? To start to make your own decisions and rely less on modeling. Um, when do I feel that way? When did you feel that way? I know you're, oh. <laughs> I know you're there, but, <laughs> but like, when did that happen? Like, did the, was it a switch where you're like, I'm here? Was it a transition? What happened there? Um, I don't, 
I think I'm only part of the way there if I'm being honest. Um, I would say actually, I think I'm there, but a character trait of mine that I have historically had that I'm working on is, uh, kind of seeking validation. Like, is this the right move? Is, should I do it this way? Should I do it that way? What do you think? And I haven't fully shed that. So like, while I do think I have the confidence to make the changes, my behaviors of still seeking validation, I think have prevented me from confidently executing on it. Like I feel ready to do it, but I'm also like, do I do this by my, like, how do I do this by myself? Like I kind of need other people to be like, yeah, this is a good idea. But like, I don't know if I'm going to, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not going to get that at least. And if you go seek validation from then too many people, then you're like, all right, well, some people say yes. Some people say no, well, what do I do? And then you have indecision. And that's actually been a character trait of mine for a long time. Like I said, so I think, yeah, I, I'm still kind of in it. I feel ready, but in some ways not. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's gonna be different for everybody. My personal experience, I, you know, we used to joke about it, right? I've always had mentors for the first few years in business. I'd buy every program, I work with every mentor. Like that was the case for years. And and then I just stopped. And I, I haven't had a mentor in I don't know, it's been a couple of years, at least a year, maybe a couple of years. Man, time flies. Time yeah, flies. I I'm not in any programs. I don't want to be. Uh, I have peers. I have you, maybe a few others, but not many, to be honest. A really close. Are you cheating circle. on me? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't think I am. I was going to say, like, I want to be cool, make it sound like I have more friends, but I think it's just you, really. I mean, I talk to you the most <laughs> about business. Um, there aren't many others. Like, I, I, so, and, and so, so here's why. I think in the beginning, I needed mentors for the reason that you you mentioned, right? For validation. I needed mentors to be able to tell me, yeah, you're doing the right thing. Go and do it. And that was really valuable in the beginning because second guessing every move at that stage in the game would have been very costly. And I didn't want to second, second guess anything. So I remember I paid, you know who I'm talking about. I paid one particular mentor $60,000 for six months. And it was like two meetings a month. It's like three grand per meeting, something like that, right? People like you're crazy, right? But this was somebody that had mentored, you know, hundreds of seven figure coaching businesses. And my logic was, if he thinks I'm doing the right thing, I can just buckle down and focus on execution and not second guess anything. Because if anybody's seen, uh, you know, a, a wide variety of coaching businesses scale, it's him. So it's worth the money, right? And it ended up being worth the money. Absolutely. And so I think I got to the point where I'd worked with enough mentors to see that, you know, I actually knew what I was doing and that there was nothing else new I was gaining from those relationships. And that in some of those cases that those mentors ended up blowing up their businesses, <laughs> you know, who I'm talking about. Right. And, and it, that also made me realize, you know, actually following their advice blindly at a certain stage becomes dangerous mm -hmm. because they don't have it all figured out necessarily. They're, human they're fallible right yeah yeah. and i think that's that's in some 
that coincided with me getting to the stage where we had the machine built. I was less in the weeds, less in the day-to-day, -day, had more time and space to think. Uh, and it gave me the confidence to start to make my own decisions. And then at that point, it was really a matter of, you know, making moves, learning from those moves without a safety net, without the validation of a mentor or a mastermind, learning from those experiences, and then making more moves, more decisions, and the confidence grew that way. And I'm, we're never done, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, that all makes sense. Yeah, and <clears throat> like I said, I think I'm, um, I'm in a program right now that I'm exiting. Um, and it, like, even just the thought of getting out, like I haven't been participating, like I kind of like, you know, there's like a, 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 you know, a repeatable cycle. Um, and it's like, it's, it kind of reminds me of in, in 2019 when I like took a two year off. It's funny. I took two years off from working with any sort of coach or program. Maybe it was 2018. I forget exactly when. Um, one of the things that I would say is I feel like I'm finally starting to hear my own voice in my head. Like I'm not hearing what someone else thinks I should be doing, but I'm like, Oh, that's my thought. Like I feel it. It's mine. It's not, you know, social media or some guru or some whatever telling me that that's what I should be doing. And it took a while. I feel like it took like six months to like believe that I was thinking that because I thought I thought it not because I was programmed to think it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, and I'm like kind of excited to get back to that because I think to your point, like, I mean, I don't think I've said this to you in a while, but like sometimes I like have these conversations with you and I'm like, man, you've come a long way. Like you're, steady as I feel like you've ever been like despite ups and downs, like you can, you're con like very in control. Um, and, uh, yeah, I feel like you're very focused on work when you're working family, when you're with family and, you know, shitty stuff's happening in business, but like you're just tackling it. Uh, and I, I'm guessing that some of that just comes from, not having all of these other maybe outside factors that you're having to weigh and consider and, you know, gut, double check yourself, uh, that, that I might've been doing. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I, I think that's that. a big part of it. Like I think, so in a word, but I, what you're referring to, I would call intuition, right? You're discovering your own intuition again. And that's, mm. is really hard to what we like to do it's human nature to a certain extent is we like to drown out our own intuition with outside perspectives. So masterminds, mentors, social media, friends, peers, colleagues, right? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And then at a certain point, you don't know what you think anymore. And you haven't given right. yourself the time and the space to actually have you know, an opinion or intuition. You drown out the noise. You get really ruthless about your inputs and where you take perspectives from. And then your own intuition starts to now have time and space to breathe and and uh and spread its wings so to speak i think that's part of it and yeah, the other part like of it that. is uh and i think this is the, this is the leadership challenge this is the ceo challenge it's learning how to control your own emotional responses to situations which i was terrible at 
for a very long time. I wouldn't say I'm good now. I would say I'm better now. So case in point, this is like mid-April and um, we're not having a great month <laughs> revenue-wise. It's slow, mm. right? Uh, I'd say a year ago, a month like this would have me losing my marbles. You know, like I wouldn't be sleeping well. I'd be nervous. I'd be calling emergency meetings left, right, and center. I called one today in fairness, right? But it wasn't, <laughs> you know, didn't sound all the alarms. It wasn't taking, taking loans. Yeah, exactly. Like doing, you know, like taking all, but, but more than anything else, spending a lot of time and energy uh, worrying and being anxious more than actually solving the problem. Yeah. And I think this is experience, right? Like I think, yeah. you know, you and I have been through enough ups and downs in business that we've learned that, you know, most threats are not fatal. Some mm -hmm. are, and you got to know the difference, right? <laughs> yeah. Some are, but yeah. most threats, most challenges in business are not fatal. And if you act like, I, I, I gave this metaphor to my clients once we were talking about, uh, it was a mindset lesson. We do a mindset lesson every Monday. And we were talking about acting as if your success is guaranteed, right? Operating with that mindset. I'm going to get there. I'm going to achieve it. I'm going to do it. We're going to accomplish it. And the metaphor I gave was, imagine if you're taking a flight from Toronto to Vancouver. Okay. Most of us don't have any doubt that that plane's going to land, right? It's going to get there. We're going to arrive. It might not always be comfortable. You know, there might be some turbulence on the way. There might be some jerk next to you that keeps coughing or sneezing. You're like, and the food might be terrible. There might be some passing annoyances on the trip. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But you fundamentally believe you're going to arrive at your destination. You don't doubt that. And that allows you to endure those temporary challenges and setbacks on the flight because you know you're going to get there when it's all said and done. Right. <laughs> what I said to my clients was, some of you are on that flight expecting the plane to blow up in midair. That's your expectation. You're expecting your business to implode. You're expecting it to go belly up. What is your attitude going to be like on that plane? If you fundamentally believe you're not going to get to Vancouver, it's going to blow up. Right. It's going to be a terrible flight, right? A lot of unnecessary anxiety. And so I, I think it's, it's something to think about, right? If you're listening, do you have, and I, this guilty as charged, do you have a really strong negativity bias towards your business? Do you fundamentally believe that, you know what, something bad's going to happen? Because if so, that's going to make this game a whole lot harder to play. Or For sure. do you fundamentally believe you're going to get there, you're going to succeed, it's going to happen, you're going to accomplish the things you want to accomplish. And yeah, there might be some temporary challenges and setbacks along the way, but you can endure those because you're going to get there way more fun that way. Totally. Yeah, good exercise um, so I was kind of having a similar conversation, uh, with one of the other two people I chat with kind of on a regular basis. And he made a comment. He's like, dude, he's like, do me a favor tonight. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about where you were 10 years ago and like really sit in it. Like how much money were you making? Were you happy? Did you have what you wanted? Because, and I did it and I was like, I was still in corporate America. I was I was, if to the day I was months away from selling my house, proposing to my now wife and quitting my job. 
which I did in a span of like 60 days. I did all three of those things in a span of 60 days and obviously changed my life. But like I had a cush, low six figure salary. I wasn't stoked about the the work. I had a obviously full-time job, but like I was, I was months away from going all in. And the first year of business like was brutal. Like I'm, I thankfully had that safety net from selling the house to help me get through, which was the intent. But like, man, like when I compare that to now, I'm like, it, it makes it so much easier to see like, holy crap. Like I have come so far, like there are definitely like things that I've been dreaming of having and doing the lifestyle. And I don't live like a crazy lifestyle or anything, but like working when I want, like not like having the emotional control, like I'm way more stable than I've ever been. And it's like, Oh my God, sometimes you just need to like do that to be like, Oh yeah. Like (laughs) I'm on this long journey. And then he's the last thing he said to me was like, um, cause he's known me for a while. He's like, I remember you told me that you were in this for the long game. And he's like, if you just keep reminding yourself that you're in this for the long game and also how long you've been in the game, like, and how far you've come in that time, like, why do you think if it took you 10 years or whatever, when did I go? Uh, 2014. Yeah. So I went out on my own. My first full year on my own was 2014. So next year I'll have been working for myself for 10 years. And clearly I'm like between this one and $2 million mark. It's like, if it took me 10 years to get to that, why do I believe and beating myself up that I didn't double or triple in a year? Like, like, cause even if it took me another 10 to get to double, triple, whatever, like you're still going to be way better off. (laughs) And like, you already have a great lifestyle. So I'm like, yeah, it's true. Like, even if the horizon was extended another 10 years for me to get to this goal that I am currently trying to get to in a fraction of that time, like I'd still be pretty stoked. Um, I know all that kind of just put it in perspective for me. So if you're feeling anxious, maybe just think about where you were 10 years ago uh, and just look at how far you actually have come. And, you know, who are you to think that you should be able to do 10 years of work in a year? And even if you retreat along the way, you know, even if you have some years where revenue is down on that path, which you yeah, yeah. invariably will, by the way, like oh, I don't know 100%. any businesses that only go up into the right forever, right? You will. Yeah. You know, we're, we had our, I mean, year over year, not so much, but within a year we had our kind of our first dip in revenue last year. Right. Yeah. And, and my attitude was, I think we talked about it was, this is a rite of passage. I've got to have a constraining uh, experience. I've got to have an experience where revenue goes down. I've got to feel that. I've got to lay some people off. I've got to cut expenses. I've got to do that. It's a necessary experience as a business owner. Yeah. I don't know where we started this, but here we are. The yeah. So <laughs> kind of let, let's let's bring this back and, and land the plane in Vancouver since we just just departed Toronto and the plane is not exploding. Um. When do you stop modeling? and start innovating and kind of taking taking the wheel truly taking the wheel um and clearly we've covered that loosely speaking for me it was i felt it more around the million mark however it's it's also how long you've been it been at it 
do you have the time to think about, you know, where you want to go and where you want to be the season of life that you're in? Um, so it might be different for each and every one of us, but hopefully some of those scenarios, you know, resonate with you if you're listening. Can I say one last thing about this? Yeah. I think you really got to consider, um, I think this is a quote from Seth Godin and I might butcher it. So sorry, Seth, uh, only two opinions matter, your customers and your accountants. Okay. You really got to consider what's best for your customer. You know, if, there, if there's one kind of philosophy that I, uh, uh, I really adopted in my business and I credit Jay Abraham for this, it's this customer first thinking what he calls preeminence, right? But every decision should ultimately be rooted in what is best for the market, what is best for the customer. Or in Jay's words, you know, fall in love with the customer, not your product. If you do that, you know, first of all, what you'll realize is a lot of the models that exist in every market are not necessarily designed to best serve the customer. Mm-hmm. And this is why you get some unintended consequences from those models. But if you fundamentally make decisions from the vantage point of what is best for the customer, what is best for the market, what serves them the best, what gets them the best results, and you put their needs front and center in your decision-making process, your decisions will invariably be unique because your customers are unique. They're different from other customers. Your decisions will be unique. They'll make sense for your business. They'll make sense for your customers. And ultimately, all positive outcomes in businesses come from delighting customers. Not a surprise. Yeah, and actually... I think I've realized this before, but I think you kind of just cemented it in for me. It's like when you continue to be involved in buying all the products, validating through every single program and peer, you don't even have the time to be in touch with your customers. And like I've like in this pathway to scale. And I just have said this actually internally, like in some ways I feel a little like, yes, we have someone that takes onboarding calls and I still do do some coaching, but like, I don't know, I still feel a little bit out of touch on maybe what some of these people really need. And me buying another program isn't actually going to tell me what they need. It's going to give me a bunch of ideas to test that may or may not work when it's like that time could have been used for, you know, rolling back up the sleeves and kind of getting back in the trenches a little bit to like make sure you're solving the customer's problem first, the client's problem first. Um, And so, yeah, that was actually kind of, that actually validated a thought that I was having last night of like, yeah, like maybe it's because like, I almost felt like I, I haven't been innovating and the source of innovation is gonna come from them. The, the paying client, not some course that came up with a new methodology, right? Like that could work, but it might not solve my client's problem, you know? So that's super interesting. I mean, I, I don't want this to sound like, um, for those listening, like I do think, well, one, pay attention to your customers and clients from the beginning. Um, never overlook that. But I do think that there's a, 
it's funny. A lot of people say like, oh, when you get to a million, like that's when you really start to figure out your client success systems. And I'm like, I feel like you should have figured that out way earlier, but I kind of feel like I see what they're saying now. <laughs> you know, it's like, yes, like you can have a delivery model and get to this certain point, but at some point the innovation is going to come from, come from them. Um, so yeah. That's when you should change. That's when you should stop modeling, guys. Hopefully that uh, was a clear checklist of, <laughs> of, of when you should consider it. We'll catch you in the next one. Any final farewells? No, let's bring it home. All right, guys. If you haven't left us a rating and review, go ahead and do that. Send us a screenshot. Tag us on the, the Instas. Uh, we hope you're enjoying, and we'll see you in the next one.